Good afternoon, South By. Welcome to the revolutionary power of creativity. Please welcome Nabil Ayers and Ms. Valerie June. Check one. Check two. <laughs> how you doing? Great. How about you? I'm great. I'm excited to be here with you. I am too. I, uh, joining me. Thank you. These I, I sometimes stress about how to fill an amount of time, but today I'm stressed about how to get everything in what feels like a short amount of time, especially with this clock. <gasps> countdown. Big red numbers. We have a lot to talk about. We do. Um, uh, Wait, I'm supposed to mention a couple of housekeeping things for questions. If people want to ask questions, um, there are two ways to do it. There's the South by Southwest app. You can submit them there. And I think we'll see them on what I've learned is called the confidence monitor. And we also might just have people come up to these microphones and actually ask questions. We'll see how it goes. We'll play it by ear, right? Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I want to kick off with a, a very short story about us meeting a couple weeks ago, and then we'll turn it over to you. But... Um, so we just met for the first time in Brooklyn, where I live and you sometimes live. And we sat down for breakfast, and you told me a story that I thought was really interesting. You were just look, going back to working on your book, and you said that you were making some last-minute changes, and you knew you were driving your publisher crazy. And I immediately reacted, and I was like, that's their job. To, like, don't worry about it. And what I think was interesting about that is that you, as an artist, were sympathetic to the people who are on the business side, I hate that there's always has to be sides, but on the business side, um, you were sympathetic to how you were making them feel and that you felt like you were stressing them out. And I, as a business person, someone who runs a record company, immediately was sympathetic to you. I thought like, well, that's the people who are putting your art out in the world. That's their job. That's what we do. And I, I don't think there are a ton of people who sort of see both sides of it like that. And I thought that it was interesting that we were both sitting at breakfast and kind of realize this. So I suppose the question is, where do you think that came from? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I come from a family of people who like worked for themselves and own their own businesses. Like my grandfather had a construction company and um, he owned rental properties in the small town of South Fulton, Kentucky, Tennessee, on the line. And that's my grandfather on my mother's side. My grandfather on my father's side was a bootlegger. So he saw whiskey and all of that. And, um, and so my father grew up watching, you know, his father make a living in business on his own. And my mother grew up watching her father making a living in his own business. And so when they got together, my father started a construction company called Hockett Construction and a music production company called Music Makers Productions. And they worked as a husband-wife team. My mother would do all the secretarial type of work, and my father would go out and get the bids and the jobs and stuff. So, And we as kids helped them do things. And so I always was around business and the side of business, and I know the stress of it. And if someone's being a pain in the butt, like I had to be sometimes when I want to change a page in my book at the last minute, <laughs> then I understand the stress that puts them under. 
But as an artist, I'm also like, but this page has to go in there. I just was listening to this amazing podcast and I was inspired or whatever it is. Right. I dreamed that I dreamed this and it needs to be in there and yeah. the book won't be the same without it. So I think it comes from being with family members who were, they were in business. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. and, and they, it sounds like they were also doing a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Which runs in the family. Oh, my goodness. My mother builds things. She could put a deck on the back of a house or <laughs> plumbing, electrical work, whatever, you know, paints, draws, had five kids, taught me to sew sews, designs clothes. Like, um, so she does all of these things for herself, not for the world. And my father, he didn't play music, but he loved music, and he would try to share that with the whole town and the whole community. And um, so wearing many hats and using one job, which was a construction company, to help feed the dream of sharing music of many different styles with our community in Jackson and Humboldt, Tennessee. That was his dream to promote shows. Because Jackson and Humboldt, it's between Memphis and Nashville. So if a star comes to play a show in Nashville, he always thought, hey, they got to drive right through Jackson and get to Memphis, which is the next big town. They might as well stop in Jackson and do a few shows there, too. So he always wanted to bring music to our town, and it wasn't easy. None, none of the work he did was easy, you know. And um, the construction business wasn't easy because he was bidding against people who, you know, he's a small African-American business and, and they're large companies. Then he would lose a lot of times because they would get the jobs and, you know, he had to take the bottom work sometimes. Yeah. And so, so it sounds like your father and your mother and obviously you do a lot of things and there's these terms polymath and multi-hyphenate that, that I hear a lot, that get thrown out a lot. And we talked about this a little bit. I think it's interesting because I do a lot of things. You definitely do a lot of things. And, and there are times when I think that it's sort of looked up to, but I feel bad about it because I think, yeah, but sometimes I think I'm good at a lot of things. Sometimes I wish I was really great at just one thing, which I don't feel like I am. And I wish maybe I'd put more into music. But do you ever... Do you ever feel like that, or do you feel like everything just feeds into to all of it? I do feel like that sometimes. I sometimes feel like, man, I wish I was great at or a master of something. But I think then I think to myself, well, I'm a master of experimenting, of, <laughs> of creating experiences and and working as a creative, that's what I'm a master of. Oh, I have this idea. I'm not going to let anything stop me from creating that, from trying it. And, like, carving that little space out in my day to play with color or music or sound or plants in a creative way. Whatever it is. Because there's so many ways to be creative. Food, whatever it is. So, I think that... I forgive myself if I start to be too hard on myself about the many things I like to do. But I also think, don't you think that we we have so many interests as human beings? Why do we have to just choose one? Why? You haven't chosen just one. No, I haven't. <laughs> and, and, I mean, the, the, my, my friend James Spooner, who he wrote a great book that came out last year, he said something really interesting when we were talking about this. Um, and he's like, a lot of the people that get called whatever multi-hyphenates and all these things, he's like, we're just finishers. We just get the ideas and we actually get through them and do it. And 
that I think a lot of people have a hard time doing, but you obviously, everything you're talking about points to exactly that. You get an idea and you do it. And that's, that's a big difference. And that's interesting and, and powerful, I think. Well, I suppose so. Um, I think that is the power of what a creative mind can do is like, know that the work is never finished, but aim to get really, really close and know that the work is always bigger than you and that, you know, like, though you might have gotten close to the finish line, like, and it's never complete, the shine might not, might not always come your way, you know? Right. So doing that for the inner purpose is so important. Like, I have to do this almost as if there's an itch and I'm going to scratch it when a creative vision comes to me, you know? Um, but then sometimes I think, well, why did I just do that? What was it for? Because, you know, it's not like getting me glitter or gold. Um, not, not even a say a grammy nomination or? i'll take it i'll take it 20 years in like i'll take it got some glitter and some gold <laughs> 20 years in i ain't complaining now boo okay <laughs> but, but part of it part of it to me feels like maybe it is ambition meaning there's just always a next thing there's always something that's maybe more exciting or i don't know in your words but something that not that what you have what you've completed isn't good enough or isn't the end but just that there's always more to do there is more to do and there's also the idea of ambition leading to inspiration for others and that you would have planted a seed that others could be inspired by and do something even greater because the work outlives the artist and the artist can never live up to the work. The work is always going to be bigger than us. And at least I think so. Yeah. Like, I think it's always bigger than the artist, than one being. So I at least hope that it continues that I would have inspired somebody to do something. It does, and it's, I mean, you're continuing it. It's up to you. Well, I do walk in the footsteps of so many of my favorite um, creators, from Basquiat to Zorino Hurston to Nina Simone and Mississippi John Hurt. I mean, there's so many that we can lean on and we stand on the shoulders of, you know? Yeah. I feel like everything we've just been talking about, so you wrote this incredible book of poetry, Maps for the Modern World which is hiding right there on you. And there's a, we talked about reading maybe a little bit of a poem and getting into some of this music that sort of relates to that. Um, should we play Working Woman Blues? I yeah. Think we could play do you have it queued up? I don't know where I'm looking. Well, you know, when I hear the song, I do want to get up and start dancing and moving around, so I had to hold myself together over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that sort of comes out of the what we were talking about the the doing lots of things. But do you want to dig into that a bit more? How it relates to the song and the poem? Well, the song "Working Woman Blues" was a song that came to me after a time in my life where I was working many different jobs. Like I was a cleaning lady. I worked at as a barista at two different coffee houses, one in the morning and one at night. And then um, I would have gigs at bars and restaurants and worked at an herb shop called Maggie's Farm, which I'd take that job back any day. But all of that while I was taking 10 minutes a day to learn how to play my guitar and then later my instrument of the banjo. Yeah, that's the 10-minute rule. Because that's all you had or because what? what explain Yeah, that's all rule. I had. Yeah. That's all I had. And, um, and I knew that you know, I wanted to learn how to play one day, 
like by the time I was 80, I wanted to be able to play. So I said, well, if I just do 10 minutes, then maybe I'll get there. And I wasn't born with natural rhythm or whatever, so it was very hard to learn how to play an instrument. What age was this, roughly, when you were starting? In my early 20s. Wow. Yeah. So um, I promised my grandfather I would learn how to play when I was 15, and he gave me a guitar. But I had other things to do, and I never did until... This band I was in broke up, and when the band broke up, I was like, man, how about I keep my promise to Granddad? Wow. Amazing. So that's what I did. That's great. Um, should we play one more clip while we're, while we're on the musical part? This is uh, when I asked you about, and maybe we should talk about this first, but I asked you about the power and light and how it's definitely a recurring theme in the book, in the music, in your life. It seems like a big thing for you. Yes, I think I'm kind of obsessed with light and light being like seen in all things, like light being in in me and in my heart and in my my life, but also in plants and in you and in all we all connect through light. And um and so one day when I was cooking I got a song, and the beginning of it, it asked, well, is there a light that you have inside that you can't touch? And I was like, well, I don't know. So I kept cooking, and I put some more food in the cast iron and sizzling, and it was smelling so good. And it said, well, a looking glass can only show you so much. And I was like, wow, okay, so you mean when I look in the mirror, I don't see everything, but there's more? And um, and then I realized I was getting a song, so I turned off the stove. But um, the song is called Astral Plane, and it relates to light and the light that we all have. But you're also a light being because your book is called My Life in the Sunshine. It is. And I'm big on light, too. Yeah, yeah. So you're surrounded by sunshine and light in your creativity, too. And I think that's something we have that we can give in whatever way it might be, we can share it with others. You yeah, know, I agree. That it's the interesting thing about light and the way I think of it is that it's certainly something we get. And I'm pointing up because the sun is up there when they're not in the convention center, um, but also something we can give. That's something that's here that you can sort of share mm-hmm. in that way. I think that's why we get along. I do too. <laughs> Should we play a clip from Astral Plane? Sure. We're talking about it. Yeah. So. A lot of artists don't like listening to their own music or seeing their own art or reading their own words or don't like, especially don't like to be in the room when others are doing so. But you seem to really enjoy, like you seem very happy and at peace and in a great place when both of these clips of songs are playing. How does it feel to listen to your own music? It depends on which songs being played first. Second of all, I don't listen to my own music ever unless I am creating Like, when I'm creating, I listen to it on repeat. Like, the same thing for years. And um, and after I'm done with that piece, I just, I don't really ever listen to it again. Oh, wow. So So this is, like, like, maybe the first time you've heard it since you recorded it. Those two songs, sure, I can listen to pieces of those songs. But it's like hearing your own voice. It's a speaking voice where it's like, I have a difficult time watching myself, too, on films or whatever people send to me. Can you approve this? And I'm like, 
It'll take me like two or three months to get back to them on that. <laughs> I'm that, not in the mood to see and, myself. Like, that's when the label people get annoyed. <laughs> right. And I'm like, so sorry, guys. But I was also going to say about light that I think that all beings, before we were born, we're pure light. And that when we get to come into a body, we came to share whatever light it is that we embodied before and that our purpose is to figure out how to keep shining how to keep sharing that shine with each other and it's so difficult you know to do that because everything in the world is trying to tell you no no we don't need it we don't need your light <laughs> it's bright enough here on earth even though it's a little womp womp sometime and out of balance All right so that's another side of light that i think is important um when we met you mentioned that growing up, you didn't know you'd be a musician, which I thought was a really interesting way to put it. And you're just saying you didn't start guitar until you know later than a lot of people do. You weren't playing as a kid. Um, and I think, what did you say? You said, uh, you said it's still a big deal for me to play music. And you said it's still a big deal to make art and to write and all those things. And I, I guess the question is, do you, is it important to you or is it inspiring to sort of chase the things that, you, that are unexpected, maybe that you didn't know you would do? I think it is very important to constantly be looking and exploring things that seem far away because to me, Earth is a school and we're all learning things about how to be kinder, how to be more, how to use our creativity and our magic wand in the life um, to create beautiful things to share with each other. And so I'm constantly like, well, how does that happen? And I think like taking all of the tools that are in the toolbox of my life and trying to use them and explore and push the boundaries of them and see like what this cauldron is, what's possible in this soup that of life, then I think that um, is, it's very much testing the theory of us as spiritual beings who came to create, you know? I don't believe it unless I can actually physically see it and hold it. So life makes that possible. This playground we have here makes that possible. So that's why I constantly, like, see something over there on that other mountain and think, oh, wow, that's so far away. But is it really that far away? And how possible is it to bring it, like, from the invisible to the visible world. You know, we have that ability as as humans to see things in the mind's eye and to manifest them in the physical world, but it takes... What does it take is my question. I think sometimes that I know what it takes, and then other times I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know anything about what it takes. So I'm interested in the experiment of trying it and being creative and being forgiving with myself when I fail. Right. I'm okay with failing, you know? I do it all the time, yeah. so it's okay. Talk about that more. How does it feel that when you fail? Does it, does it inspire you to move on, or does it make you stop for the day or for the, the session or whatever it is that, that you just failed at? Sometimes I stop. And I cry hard, you know, and um, don't pick it up again until way later. It depends on the process, you know. It's like whatever it is, I might need to give it some space and time, but just be in that and 
let the whatever the process was happen versus trying to control it and force myself to push on. Right. I've learned that the hard way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Where do you feel like you access the most creativity? I suppose around music. Some people, when they're really free, just on the couch playing guitar, no one's recording, no one's watching, that's when the great stuff comes. Other people, maybe it's at a live show, even though you're just playing the same song. There's a different audience. There's a different vibe. That's a really exciting time. Or maybe it's in the studio. But are there certain settings that feel more creative for you? I like to be alone. I love it. Like, whew, so great. Just quiet, silent silence, and, like, just seeing what's going on in the world around with sounds and trees and flowers and birds and bees and zooming cars going by and whatever it is here and that and I think having that quiet space makes it possible to create because the stuff comes from creations come from wherever in the ether so like opening the channel up by not putting too much in there but allowing things to come in is kind of important for me and other creators are different. Some people like to listen to music 24 hours a day. I've been around creators like that. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm like, I can go a long time without listening to anything but the world, you know. And, um, yeah. But I also, like, have 10 minutes a day every day where I dance and I listen to some music. <laughs> oh, dude, you still follow the 10-minute rule. Yeah. Yeah, and you have more than 10 minutes. I have a lot of 10-minute rules for a lot of different little 10-minute things. <laughs> Why does it need to stop at 10 minutes? Is it to keep you excited and keep you interested? The funny thing is, it rarely stops at 10 minutes. 10 minutes is just to get started. Minimum. Yeah. Okay, okay. If I sit to learn to play something new on the guitar, the banjo, the ukulele, and it's a challenge, and I say to myself, well, I'm never going to get to be Sister Rosetta Thorpe on this, but let me just try 10 minutes. Then I sit there, and I'm like, two hours later, whoa, I just spent two hours playing guitar. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But if I didn't do it that way in small pieces, then I wouldn't do it. In tiny steps. Right. (laughs) Tiny steps. Just really tiny steps. Right. And if if you told yourself you need to play for two hours, that's maybe daunting or Mm -hmm. seems unrealistic. Exactly. Or if I told myself, I have to put this record out and get a Grammy nominated, like, tomorrow. Right. No, it's okay if it happens in 20 years. <laughs> but that's 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 the thing that's that's a really interesting point. Would, actually, would you read Tiny Steps? Yes. I think it applies to a lot of what we're talking about. While you find it quickly, the question people keep asking me about my book is how I knew I was writing a book. And I didn't know I was writing a book, which is the only reason I was able to write a book. I was writing a bunch of short things and then realized, wow, there's so much here. Maybe this is a book. But I think if someone had said, go write a book, it wouldn't exist. Right. Similar it thing. Took the tiny ten minute rule, sort of. Yeah. And you didn't even realize it, but you were just right. doing whatever came to you, you were writing it. Yeah. By the time you get to where you were going, everything you did will seem so small. You'll realize that it has always been just a series of tiny steps. Tiny steps. So simple, but so good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
I'm curious, something else we talked about recently that I thought was really interesting. You've made a number of records now, worked with a lot of different producers, and a lot of artists that I know like to work with the same producer or like to work with the same engineers and people in the studio, or a lot of artists have aspirations to eventually take over that role. The, or that role. The, uh, the role of the producer is kind of for, for them to figure out what it is so they can do it themselves. But you seem to like, we talked about just working with lots of different people, and you called them all teachers, which I thought was really interesting. Want to talk about producers and their role in recording your music? Well, when I worked with different producers, the um, everyone works in a different way. And I really didn't know what a producer was. What was that job, really? It's kind of like with A&R. I'm like, what do you do, really? <laughs> like Now I know. Um, and I also know that there are no true rules for what a producer decides that they want is their best way of working. Some producers like to write with the artist. Some producers like to only use their instrumentation and their band members they're used to working with. Other producers are like, who do you want to work with? Um, so each one has taught me so much about how to make a record. And um, you asked me the question when we met for tea, did I want to produce my own record? And I don't. I don't. <laughs> I have produced some things for myself, but I think it's nice to have outside ears who can, like, they direct and guide you. And, you know, like if we're, for example, I've written a song and I'm singing it a certain way and they think I should sing it softer in a certain point, I'll try what they say. But then if I listen to it and I'm like, man, no, I'm not singing that softer, then I'll sing it hard, you know. But I so need to have that outside person, like, like the editors of the book, where they give you all the input. She said when you were working on your book that your editor was very involved and you had a constant dialogue with yeah. them about what the next chapter was going to be and the direction of what you'd written. And mine, my editors in my book aren't that involved in their way, but I love that. I love when I have that process with uh, another creator. And I also, like, you know, it doesn't always go smoothly. Sometimes it's super smooth and super fun. And other times it's like, oh, man, are we caught up on this song, this line, this turn? We're still going through this with each other. So you learn a lot about the other person and their creative methods, too. Yeah. It's, and so many artists want to, and this is not wrong, it's a different opinion, but some, so many people feel like they're losing creative control by having anyone else involved but you can also be gaining creative control by having other people involved, which it sounds like how you're doing it. You're taking in their opinions. You're still ultimately making the decision. You're getting ears and advice on what you do. Yeah, and for the most part, the producers that I've worked with have been okay with that, and they trust at the end of the day that I'm the one who's going to be out there 200 shows a year singing the song again and again, so I need to be able to love it or at least do it night after night, you know? So they work with me on it. Yeah. I feel like we're about halfway in, and it might be fun to open it up to the audience. What do you think? I love that. Okay. let's. We can start with... Uh, this is a good question that's on the confidence monitor. We'll start with this one. This is from... I can't read. Uh, have you ever dealt with self-doubt as a singer? 
If so, how did you overcome this? Well, on the confidence monitor, wow, self-doubt. <laughs> yes, I have. When I first started singing, because my voice is odd and a little different than what is coming on the radio, I was I never thought that I could be a singer and live from my craft and share my creativity with people um, at this level. So self-doubt is something that I've had to work with all along the way. And the best way that I've found to work with it is through finding quotes, proverbs, or um, creating affirmations. So every time that cloud of doubt comes, then I would repeat that mantra or that thing that kept me, that neutralized it. And I would repeat that thing as I was, when I was cleaning houses, as I was dusting the house. Or I'd repeat it when I'm backstage getting ready to go on stage for a show. And, or whenever it comes up, it's, those are like the, in the toolbox. They're in the toolbox and I just pull out whichever one is the medicine for that, that, particular doubt or fear (laughs) I'm like okay you're a baller bitch you got this (laughs) that's the mantra (laughs) yeah pretty much (laughs) um people can feel free to put more questions in the the question machine if they'd like um but I have one I want to ask you which is it's pretty simple but what's the most difficult creative decision you've had to make whether that be music, writing, anything. Wow. You know, this is a really hard question. Uh, it's just, I guess the most difficult one was starting because my family, you know, everyone was like, go to school and get educated and do something with your life and get a real job and even with my hair and um or what so many things about being a creative person the world is not ready for supporting dreamers society isn't ready for supporting dreamers and and creatives oftentimes they're encouraged to do something else and i think it's important to do to to have something that's you're paying bills and you're taking care of yourself, but simultaneously that you would nurture your creativity. So um, that's why, like, even though the jobs were there, it was like those 10 minutes had to happen. And so, like, the hardest part was to say to myself, yes, I can make music. I can do illustrations I can do this book or whatever you know and let that be the the way of the path or the journey that I'm on yeah is is it still hard to take on new things do you feel that way as you enter into new disciplines or do you lean on the fact that you succeeded with the other ones and it's you know you know you can do it do you feel more confident for that reason I lean on the failures and the successes so you know there's a lot of failures, so those I'm like, man, oh well. I know the worst that can happen, <laughs> so 
I felt what that feels like, and it doesn't feel good, but at the same time, it's like once you've gone there, then you're okay. You know, you're like, okay, all I can do is dust off and keep going and rise. And I saw that with my father, you know. There were times when the business, they filed bankruptcy and they lost, or we, like, were poor and couldn't, you know, afford things that we needed. And then I saw them land a job building a church and get money in advance in and, you know, things balance out. So riding through the times when creatively your passion isn't able to sustain you and, like, making it to that next oasis or water fountain just learning how to pace that and balance that. And I think it was important for me to see those moments of failure growing up, but also have my own. <laughs> and once you do it, it's okay. It's like falling off a bike, right. you know, And but in front of the whole world. <laughs> That's the hard part. <laughs> but I mean, the whole world doesn't know the song that you didn't finish or that they only know the songs that they know, the ones that are out there. Yeah, and... Some of them are probably duds. <laughs> others, others, they're the ones that, but all of them are my babies, so I won't say that. Right, right. I love them all. Um, I'm curious as someone, I, I, I'm not a songwriter, I've never been a songwriter, but I played drums for years, played music, played in bands, and, and now I do a lot of writing. How do you see those two disciplines, writing and music, as both similar and or different? The writing a poem comes from a different place. Um, I hear the voices. I hear voices when I write a song and they sing to me. And they'll be like, you know, start with like uh, chanting usually like, and that'll go on for months or years. And then it'll start to shape into words. And um, But it's song. I'm hearing melodies. Melodies first. Yeah. Layers. Kind of like when a person listens to the radio, they hear a song sung to them. I hear a song sung to me from somewhere else. I don't know where. And it's not in my voice. It's usually in... Different voices. Some are kid-sounding voices. Some are old-sounding voices. You know, all ages and sexualities or genders. Um, but when I get a poem, it's a spoken voice. It's just like it's just like something talking. You know. So I know the difference between a poem and a song because of that. <laughs> How convenient. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, now what are you giving me here? Like. Do the, is it? Are they ever the same voices? And I the use, poem and the music, or they're, no, they're totally different. But the poem different. voice is always. If you're asking the same, the po the spoken voice is always the same. Oh, it is. The spoken voice is not like the singing voice. So it, do, it doesn't vary in that way. Be, ah, or it could be, you know, it's like, ah, you know, it's got a lot of things happening. But the poem voice is. Da 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 It's very monotonous. It's like I'm talking to you, but yeah. That's incredible. So it's so it's very easy to know if it's a poem or a song. Yep, it is. They tell me what yeah. to do. But I think it's like that with a lot of creatives that a song tells you what to do. 
like or if you're writing something is it is it a book is it a short story what is it eventually it's going to tell you what it is you just have to sit down and get started on it and let it right. lead the way wow let's go to some more questions or some things on the screen let's see got to look at these for a second I like this first one. Can you speak more to the act of creating being a revolutionary act? How is creating revolutionary for you? Well, we live in a world that is so busy and so many layers of systems that keep us bound and, and in chains and ties that and not focused on our creativity and not focused on our inner strength and our power and our beauty and our c togetherness and collective mind. And so for you to take time in this crazy world we live in to be creative, just even if you're carving 10 minutes to work on something that is creative for you, you are in, in a way taking your power. And so that's how I see it as a revolutionary act because I think that everyone has a gift who's on the planet and everyone has some magic to share and all cultures have some magic to share. But we get distracted all the time by so many different things. And so if you take that power back by working on your craft, whatever that is, and not doing it because it's going to make you famous or get you success in some other way, That'll come along if it comes along, and if it doesn't come along, it doesn't come along. But you took that time back. You took that, that moment back and carved that space in your day. And to me, that's revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What do you think makes it creativity revolutionary? Oh, wow. I wasn't ready for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I... We're similar in some ways, but it's so different for me because playing drums in a band, was I was never the singer. I was never the person writing the songs. I was always coming up with something to accompany something that another person had did. So while it felt creative and I had, you know, there were things that I could do that would change the way the song sounded or felt, I was never starting it. I was adding to something that existed. And so I always felt like I was in tons of bands. The singer, that's the real creator. That's the person who's really putting themselves out there, who's doing all this, being very vulnerable. And as a drummer, I would hang out in the back and have a great time. That's kind of the, the very short version of it. And then suddenly I end up writing some much more personal pieces about my life and myself that are sort of shorter published things. And then somehow writing a 320-page book and really putting a lot out there and feeling like, oh, this is like, now I'm the singer is kind of what it feels like to me. Um, and it feels a lot different. And I guess to me, so to me, the vulnerability is the thing because I've been able to watch it shift and to literally be standing behind the vulner vulnerable person and now to suddenly be the vulnerable person. And to me, it, that's revolutionary in that I'm not saying what I'm doing is revolutionary, but it's revolutionary for me to sort of slowly over decades witness and take part in that change and realize that, sure, it's all creativity, but you can do it in so many different ways and you can really change your life through it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It does make sense. Do you mind reading some from your book? <laughs> no, there's, in your keynote, I'm happy to read it. I would love it because I enjoyed reading it myself and it's. I think that the world needs to hear some from all right. This is a, a short section that you asked me to read. This is a paragraph. Um, 
for some context, so I'm president of the Beggars Group, which is a big group of great independent record labels, 4AD, Matador, XL, Young, and Rough Trade. And this is about two-thirds of the way into the book. This is when I'd started working at 4AD, and I'd been there for probably a year, and was kind of just learning what it's like. The more I interacted with artists, both big and small, the more I realized how much I had in common with them. When I was in bands, I wanted to know that my record label was working in my best interest. Now, as the head of a record label, I wanted to impart that feeling to the artists. Selling 50,000 albums by The National in one week was exhilarating, but I was equally fulfilled by landing a song in a worldwide commercial for the relatively obscure Danish band Efterklang, or by simply listening to the very rough home recording of what would become Tune Yard's biggest song to date, Water Fountain. I loved being part of the process and reinforcing to our staff that the victories for the smaller artists were just as important as they were for our bigger artists. And what got me about reading that was how when a creative takes the time to do the revolutionary act of creating, the team and the community that it builds, you saw both sides. You were in a band playing drums, but you also switched and started to be the president of this label. And you saw what the team was really doing behind scenes, behind the scenes. So your creativity and your the act of being a revolutionary creative, it extends beyond you. You know, it creates communities. And small communities, to me, like all over the globe, can shift the energy of the planet in positive ways, if that's our goal, collectively. So that's why it's so powerful to me to hear that from that side of the music business, because the music business is a tough business. So to have that coming from a creative business professional is just I needed to hear that you know and I think a lot of artists and creators need to hear that that we have you guys are you know a part of our machine team of creating art but also if you have your heart in the right place then we're creating something pretty freaking magical you know that's, that's the hope right yeah. yeah yeah we do hope so yeah. I really love that part in your book Thank you. And you've, you've, interestingly, I think it's rare these days, you've been with your record label for 10 years? Yes. A long time. And at least when we were together, you only said good things about them, which is great. I mean, that's, you know, so many artists and labels have a hard time maintaining a long-term relationship like that. I know I think you're working with the same people you've always worked with, right? Or some of them, which yes. is probably why it's still good. But what do you feel? Why do you feel like it's it's been so positive? Well, the thing about it is... Um, we fight, you know. They ask me to do things, and I'm like, what? No! Y'all know I don't want to do that. <laughs> but then sometimes I ask them to do things, and they're like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not backing it. So, like... Not paying for that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so it goes both ways, but learning how to take the, the, the nose and, and figure out other pathways to working together... That matters, and I think that's why our relationship is good, that we're able to fight through the fights and celebrate through the celebrations. Yeah. So, but, you know, when, I, when you say positive, yes, positive, but not without moments where we disagree. But that makes sense. It's like any other long-term relationship where if it were all, if everyone was pretending to be nice all the time, it wouldn't work. You have to get through those things, and hopefully it makes it stronger, the fact that you can, and you, you get to know each other over those years. That's true. Yeah. How are we on? Oh, we've got time for some more questions. I wonder, does somebody want to come up to the mic and ask a question? 
make it a little personal? <laughs> Anybody? Or I could read one off the screen. Up here, I can see you. Come on up. Yeah, there's a microphone right there. Um, hello. Okay. Hi. I'm on my tippy toes. <laughs> um, I love your song, Cosmic Dancer. And when you were talking about astral planes and how um, that song came to you while you were cooking, I'm curious how Cosmic Dancer kind of came to be and, and shine the light. Well, it's one that I was inspired by because it's a T-Rex cover. And when I heard it, I was like, that was exactly what I feel all beings. We were dancing before we were got to Earth, and we danced our way into the womb, and we danced our way out through the tomb, you know. And so I love songs that carry a spiritual message like that. Um, and that's why I wanted to cover that song, because it perfectly aligns with lessons and messages that I need to hear in my life. And I hope that when I sing my version that it touches that many more people, because they're already huge T-Rex, so, you know. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Anybody else want to come up? Oh, all right. Someone's excited in the back. <laughs> I was scared because you're so fabulous. I think a lot of us are just starstruck. I've been taking notes the whole time. It just tumbles out of you. Um, as a creative and as a sort of, like the more marginalized you are as a creative, sometimes the harder it, it is to stay on the track of your creativity. Um, so I guess my question is for, specifically for like non-normative creators, whether that's because of your gender or your orientation or your skin color or your neurodivergence or whatever it is, um, like what advice do you have, not just for young people, like I'm pushing 40 and I'm still like, I think we're all just searching like, how do you stay in it, you know? Like not just stay in it, but stay in it with like, you're just like a effervescent bubble of yes. I'm just like, I'm like trying to grapple, <laughs> like wrap my head around how absolutely magical you are and how tough it is to just stick with it. Wow, thank you. That's a beautiful question. And I really like, for some reason, at, that question makes me think about death and like the beauty of passing and transitioning and and doing like your craft because you love it till the day you die no matter what you're going to do it whether you are able to reach an audience in your lifetime or not like you're going to do that you know and being committed to it until the day you die no matter what, because that's just what you are and what you were born to do and what you, how you came to shine. There's a documentary on Little Richard's life called I Am Everything that's showing here this week. And um, he was just, he wasn't appreciated in his, until the very end of his lifetime for what he contributed to the world in so many ways, from his queerness to his blackness to his fashion and style, his musicianship, those he was influenced by and those he influenced from Mick Jagger to Bowie to Tina Turner, like the man wrote the book and he made it so Harry Styles can be who he is. He made it so I can be who I am, you know, like, so creators like that who don't get don't reach their audience until very, very late as far as their appreciation of what they do, like, 
make a list of them from writers to uh, painters to they can be politicians. Make a list of those you respect that keep you motivated on doing what you're doing because you, it'll come. Dreams are bigger than us. They're not like for one individual. Dr. King's dream always reminds me of it, and I speak about it a lot because 50 years later, we're still pushing to see it true. But if the man hadn't dreamed that motherfucking dream, then where will we be right now? You know? Like, he had to start. So it's that initiation that you be planting those seeds. And we walk into these seeds all the time. My sister was talking to me today about spirits and angels being around, all around. So we walk in a room. You don't know what it is, but you just feel something. That is what we're doing as creators. We're leaving those seeds. And our work in that space is so powerful and so magical and so needed for those generations to come. But it also shifts the energy of the negativity in the past and the traumas. It shifts that. So it's a healer's work that we do as creators, you know. I, you know, I, I can't really say it all because words don't do it. But you, if you can feel it. <laughs> You know, like I don't like trying to use words sometimes because they just minimize the whole process. But you know when you're creating, you know what that feels like. And it's powerful and it's timeless. You step at a time when you do it. So you might not, we might not reach our audience or our dream might, might not manifest in the lifetime, but it's in the doing that the that the true work's done, you know, in the actual action each day, in each breath, in each moment, you know, that refocusing, reprogramming of the mind, decolonization of so many negative things that come into we've been programmed for all the time, you know. So it's just shifting. I don't know. Great question and great answer. I feel like we have someone ready at the mic. Okay. Um, your song, Astral Plane, came at a time when my mother passed away. And I just one really want to thank you because that song really helped me. And I think someone passed, your father passed away at the same time. And you make it so beautifully effortless to like hold a space for death and creativity in the same space and could you maybe talk about your self-care practices and sort of I know for me like those experiences rattle me and it's hard to become whole again and I just love your yoga practices and you sitting in trees I do that too and could you maybe just talk about the self-care and how you keep yourself whole in carrying this message to people. I'm sorry for your loss. And your my father did pass around that same time. And as like a person who loves nature and plants and trees, I just look at the cycles. And I know nothing is ever it just changes form. You know, it's not gone, you know. I still communicate with him even though his form isn't the same, you know. And I get signs from him. And um, Astral Plane is a song that can be considered in the death realm. But also, it's here right now to access, like, that plane of existence and the earth plane and physical plane 
all of them exist on an equal layer at once, you know? And so when you're sitting with a tree, you can feel this connection with all of existence. Like, you feel it around the tree when you hold a leaf or you watch a leaf change color. These observations of the plants that are, are in our neighborhoods that we walk by every day. Well, stop to learn what the name of that flower is, you know. What is the name of this? And what is it perennial or is it annual? How does it grow? How does it like to grow? Learning all of that keeps us, to me, it keeps me able to face the challenges of the world and it's a form of protection for me like connecting with nature in that way and understanding that yeah it's okay to fail it's okay to fall it's okay for things to pass or it's okay for those transitions to happen the light is always there I'm going to leave my physical form isn't going to be the same but that that light is always there you know it's always going to be I don't know. I mean, and I don't know about other worlds and all that stuff just yet, but I'm working in that, in that space and trying to just see how it all exists here right now. It's not like, like, it's not gone, so to say, you know, just because I watch the leaves as they change and they become the compost and go back to the earth and then I plant the seeds and I watch them grow up and I'm just like... Yeah, the full cycle, that's what it is. And I love that cycle. So that's how I'm able to say, okay, the storm just came and totally demolished a bunch of plants. But it's not dead, you know? It's just in transition, and this is a cycle. And this, we encounter storms all day, every day. Advertising is a huge storm. <laughs> and I love ads, the right ones, and I love clothes and shopping and all the things that we do to be consumers in the world and all of that, but at the same time, there's storms, so it's like, how do we navigate these storms and be in the world? I respect people who live in a monastery or somewhere in a tree, but I'm living in the world. I want to know how do you do that in the world, you know? So it's just question marks always. Like, I don't know how. I just wake up with this big question mark and try. <laughs> Thank you. Let's jump into one more last quick one from the screen. Um, it's the one at the bottom if you want to read it. It's creating something from zero versus creating by combining predecessors' works in a new way, standing on shoulders of giants. Which are you? Who are your giants? Ooh. A lot of questions, but who are your giants is the one that I'm, I think people will be curious to hear. Well, you know, the list of my giants is so huge. Like, I was making the list of them, and it just kept going. <laughs> it was just like painters, writers, musicians, grand, granddad, you know, like so many ancestors. So I can't say one because there are so many. Like, they're everywhere. You, my sister, <laughs> like, I'm standing on the shoulders. 
you know, of so many amazing creators. That, that's such a great years too. Such an open way to look at it because in my head it was like, cool, name five amazing musicians that inspire you. That's kind of how I took the question in this very narrow view, but you see it in this much wider version, obviously. Well, it's just that's we're influenced by so much. And that's one of the gifts of being in the world now in 2023 and the 2000s. Everything's at our fingertips. You can be inspired by just typing in one word into the computer and getting all of this inspiration back. So uh, we have time to choose which ones we're going to draw from. And I'm drawing from all whales, you know? Yeah. I think we're out of time. This is been incredible i hope everyone's had a good time i have to mention that uh both valerie's books and my book are signed and available for sale in the bookstore which is one level up or down <laughs> somewhere Same. around here down uh, and they're closing at 5 30 and i want to thank south by southwest and most importantly you have been an absolute amazing radiant powerful force and i've had a great time talking to you thank you thank you thanks valerie june everybody <laughs>